Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. through 24 we're continuing our study uh, of the parables in Luke uh, the parable we'll be looking at this morning uses the illustration of a, of a great feast and feasts are something that are have somewhat of a repetition in scripture there's uh, feasts of many different kinds in, in the Old Testament that are issued um, for a number of different reasons, all of them, I, I would argue to you, point forward to that fulfilling work of Jesus Christ. We see the language of, of feast being used of that, that ultimate, that final reconciliation that occurs at Christ's coming whenever we're brought forth to Him. It's described in Revelation as a feast. And so this parable should immediately catch our attention in looking to both the hereafter, but then how it is we relate to that bridegroom that is Christ. And so really, my intention is to answer those questions of, you know, who's invited, who then will be there, and, uh, and will I be there? Will we be there? Um, how is it that we relate to him. And so if you would join with me, Luke 14, beginning in verse 15, I'll read through verse 24, and I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we come this morning humbly. Father, that you would show yourself to us Before us, there seems to have already been put an invitation. Lord, we ask that you would already begin erasing the excuses. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for your word this morning. Lord, that you would move in our midst, that you would bless us, that you would glorify yourself as we come to experience you in your word, by your spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So I hope you got a bulletin. We've got a, an outline on the back of the bulletin for you to follow along like normal with a few fill in the blanks and I'll help you with those. And there's a lot to consider in a parable like this. And we see that Jesus has been addressing a lot. If we read in between the blanks, which I would just encourage you as we hit the parables each week that you would take the time to maybe read what comes in between so that you know the full context. And Jesus has been handling some things, especially uh, some pointed conversation to the Jews. But he issues this parable to us in such a way that it establishes some pre-understanding. He frames the conversation in such a way that helps us to realize that first point in looking to the master's preparations. Because see, he already started teaching from the context of a feast, talking about the place of honor, and we see what initiated the conversation was another man saying, blessed is the, the man who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus reframes the conversation out of the gate and shifts the focus from the attender of the feast to the one who puts on the feast. And so he restructures that just a little bit by, by beginning as he so often does with this proverbial man who has a great supper. And so I think it's good that we stop and look at, before we jump into how this we're going to apply this, let's really get the gist of how it is Jesus wants to frame his own conversation. And so first, there's just a simple reality. There's nothing in question about anything that we're, the, the few little points we're going to talk about about the Master's Feast and what it is that he does. None of that's up for question or debate None of that needs to be applied in particular ways. Those are stark realities that we, don't, that we just need to know. It's a presupposition, a, a, a beginning point. And the reality is, is that the feast belongs to Him. The feast belongs to Him. We're clearly talking about the kingdom, eating bread in the kingdom. And so that Him is clearly God. It's his feast. 
When the master has a feast, he's the one that, that plans a feast, that thinks about it, that has the intention. He's the one that, that makes the provision, that gives the command, that does what he wants. He's the one who creates the menu, the itinerary, all of it. He plans the seating. It's his feast. And we need to remember that. Before we come to ask the questions that we hope to answer, who's invited, who will go, will we be there, we've got to understand whose feast it is. This isn't a dinner thrown in our celebration of us. Sometimes we do that and it's a good thing. But here at this feast, in the parable that we're being told here, we're talking about a feast that belongs to God. And so it's His. He invites who He wants to. He holds out who He wants to, who deserves it. All of this, it belongs to Him. There's just no questions. We've got to understand that. But you know what's interesting about this is that second point, when we realize the Master's preparations, we see that He, this Master, desires to bless he desires to bless. He's not the one, the man from a few parables ago that, that had all this abundant blessing and just wanted to store it up for himself so that he could sit and enjoy his own provisions and not, not really share. We talked about that. That's not. This isn't the same character being displayed in the master of the feast. This master has a desire to bless. This man made a great supper. The one who had it all, who had all the provision to, to, to feed and to bless all these that he invites in, he exerts himself. The master is invested. He is gracious. He's do, doing, uh, making all these preparations, working diligently on the front end for all of those, on behalf of all of those that are invited. It's the intention of the one to whom the feast belongs to bless those. What we see in that, and we can't miss it, we know the feast inherently belongs to him. He's sovereign in every, every decision that goes on. And yet he desires to bless. What we see in this is something that really helps to define for us the very nature of God. This desire to bless where he, did not, he didn't have to create some feast and yet he had a desire, a good desire for those invited. And lastly, the master of the feast receives the glory. He's the one who has done all the work. He's the one that has gathered all the provisions. He is the one that has sought to invite all these out here. We'll talk more about that here in a bit. But he sends the invitation. All of this goes to him. And we know that whenever we, we go in, and if we've been invited over to family's house or some other thing, we know who the praise goes to. We give the thanks to them. Some of them don't, we don't even like that level of responsibility, whether it's that one time a year or the family get together or something else. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Three days preparation and it's all gone in three hours. 
you know, and so sometimes we kind of dread that somewhat, but we realize that because the work belongs to the master and the praise goes to the master. We used to host a, a Bible study s- several years ago in our house, week in and week out, and it was exhausting, and we would thank people as, as they would help to bring things or make provision, and we had one close friend, and he said, no, no, there's something additional. There's something about that, that hosting it, and additional work that goes on, and we know that. We know that in those family get-togethers. Here, we realize that in this parable, before Jesus even answers the man who said, blessed is the one who attends the feast, blessed is the one who eats the bread in the kingdom of God, Jesus wants us to understand whose feast this is and He wants glory going to its proper place. And so that is the master to whom the feast belongs. Now we get to dive into the nature of this. Jesus answering this blessing to the one that will attend. Well, he seems to be explaining how that interaction will come to be. What it is we might expect. I think there's a number of ways we could have approached this text. You'll see in the outline, I've just broken it down into two two areas, the invitation and the rejection. And the reason I did this is because whenever we read, if we were to fill in those blanks, Jesus handled some hard things. If you remember just just last week, we talked about Christianity being a movement and Jesus' teaching moves through some really hard areas. He talks about the entering through the narrow gate. He gives some pointed exhortation to Jerusalem, specifically, you know, the Jewish hub of belief and practice and even attending the banquet you know this this invitation looking at uh, this issue of pride and humility and so I think it's plain what just even approaching this text the one invitation seems to be to the Jews he sends out there's a uh, an invitation he sends out his servant to say to them that were bidden There was already something. His word had already been sent out to some. And we know in the context of this, even from the rest of his teaching, we realize, one, there is an initial invitation, something that precedes the invitation to the rest of of the world outside, and that's to the Jews. They got an invitation. The word of God, we know, went to the Jews. They were a people who was not a people, and then he made them a people. He called them out, and he sent that just to them, not anyone else in the world. He sent out an invitation to them that through them the world might be blessed. But we've got to realize there's an invitation first to the Jews. We get that. And then, upon their rejection, they ask to be excused. We're going to talk more about that here in a bit. The the nature of, of their excuses. But we see following that, there's another invitation. It seems to be a greater invitation. He lists only three who had rejected him and then gives four that he extends the invitation out to after that. And then we see the servant say, listen, all the maimed, all the halt, all the blind, they've, they've all been invited and yet there is room. So now we 
We could easily fall back into our praising the master because there seems to be plenty of room at the feast. We're not constrained by space because this is what I have included there if you're following along. First, the Jews, that second invitation is the whosoever will. It seems pretty clear by the instructions given to his servant once the, all the, the, let's see, I'm in verse 21, all the poor, maimed, halt, and the blind, says there's still room, and he says go into the highways and into the hedges. We know this is outside the city limits. Go into those outer places where, where uh, you know, the merchants are, go into the hedges where, where those are, are, are dug behind or the hidden places, whatever. The whosoever will. Go out as far as it takes, essentially, in order that my feast be full. Full. There doesn't seem to be anything, any capacity. There's no mention of room or anything else. There's just the, the connotation there that it's full. That feast is complete. We shouldn't come to understand Jesus' application or, or invitation to the gospel to include some sort of uh, fulfillment that is only partial. As if the marriage feast at the very end is somehow incomplete or lacking in any way. We've got a feast that is complete, that has been full because the invitation has been extended out as far as it needs to go. The whosoever will. And maybe we need to take a minute to discuss just who it is that includes. There's been a lot of talk this week about ethnicities, origins, race, um, I think this should help us. That's not what the message is about this morning, but a message like this should help us to understand where those dividing lines are. There's some. There's over nine hundred thousand hashtag Black Lives Matter, and it's over forty whatever thousand all hashtag All Lives Matter that come in response or in rebuttal to that. Not counting all the little dozens of offshoots. And yet here, according to Scripture, there is no, not, I mean not one, distinguishing mark upon any one except for being invited and the one who rejects that invitation. That's it. There's an invitation and the one who rejects that invitation. It's been extended to all. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. 
We might dive in and say, well, the invitation is clearly the poor, maimed, the halt, the blind. Maybe there's something to be said about those that are prideful or too busy or materialistic or something like that. Bottom line is this seems like a pretty inclusive invitation except for the ones who would reject. And the bottom, but, but before we move on to that, and that's why we're, I wanted to handle the rejection in and by itself, we've got to realize where there was an invitation to f- the few and then an invitation to the rest, there is a point at which the invitation was closed. We don't need to skip over that. When the invitation went out to the few and they rejected it, the master of the feast, this is who the, who the feast belongs to, finishes and I think it closes where we really come to a point at the end of the parable where we're not sure if he's still in the parable or Jesus is making a statement of the one that will receive his supper. When he says, I say unto you, none of those that were bidden at the first will taste my supper. You see, because what we have in in, in the, the need in the world, it's not just simply a world full of people that need God's mercy. Sure, we all need God's mercy. But what the world suffers from is not a bunch of pitiful people. It's a bunch of people that are prideful and full of high-handed rebellion against God. They have something going on in their life and in their world that is more important than this invitation to the feast that we're talking about. And we have got to understand that. I get so frustrated Whenever I hear people come to this discussion of God and they question, they put Him on trial for how gracious He is if some are not included. Because the reality is, this, it is clear. Don't get mad at me. He says, none of those men that have rejected my feast, they will not taste it. You either accept the invitation or you do not. And to push that a little bit further, you have the balls in your court. Whenever I extend a gospel invitation to you, the ball is in your court. But those, those people, don't, they don't come and to say, well, now I've, I've heaped up my provisions. I've bought my land or I've bought all the land I want to buy. Now I'll go to your feast. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't make it to the feast because the master of the feast has shut them out. He's the one who gets to decide who comes in and who does not. That's just it. The one who has said, no, I need to try out these oxen, whatever, pride of life, pride of possessions. We see this all over in Scripture. And I think we need to be careful whenever we handle the invitation that we think that his feast is somehow going to be lacking, that he's going to hold everything up and wait on us because we, in fact, have become the master of the feast. It's just a wrong understanding. 
And you know what? And it stomps all over the good grace of God, one who has all the provision and all the desire to bless, who's done all the work and has sheds all this grace upon us to include us in a feast and, 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 and to even set us in places of honor. You see, that's the context prior to this is those who are invited and he's already dealt with answering these who feel they deserve the places of honor and sit there and yet need to be humbled. We've got to humble ourselves when we view this invitation. And there is no contingency upon race or any other thing. The bottom line is, is those who are in the feast and those who are not And so we need to talk about the rejection. And without spending too much time, we see they're just plumb full of excuses. And I think whether it is, whether it is land, the oxen, or, or, or other possessions, family, I took a wife, And I don't know, I guess we know who rules that roost, but I think it's more, more is being said than that. Family can't get in the way of this invitation. And what a petty thing to think that he would have to leave his wife instead of take her along. That's something I didn't spend a whole lot of time considering. But they're plumb full of excuses. Now, I don't want us pointing the finger, but I do want us to consider the ways in which we have said, and just in my own life, here's what I'll do next year. Here's what I'm going to save up for, and then here's what we're going to do. And it's good, it's good to be, to be uh, wise, to work hard, to leave inheritance to our children. All those are biblical concepts. But I'm going to confess to you as your pastor, boy, I, I make a lot of plans sometimes. Far too many. And I think that we can risk, we can risk scorning the invitation of our God and Father, even as a church. We can all the time be looking at what, what we plan or what we want to be. We can always be lusting after something in, in the way our congregation is shaped or the way that, that our ministries are performing or the way that our budget is to look. And we could neglect the work that's right here in front of us. Because this rejection is of two things. It's of that ultimate feast. I think that we're clearly in some way looking at that time in which the Lord comes back, the feast comes, and all are invited in. Whenever we reject, we, we, we don't have the time to say then, well, I'm not ready yet. I've got a few things left to get in order. I think that is your answer. And so that is a rejection of the ultimate feast. Even whenever you're given that, that gospel presentation, you're rejecting something that is huge, that is eternal. And so that's a scary thing. But I think it's so much more than that. 
Because there's an ongoing work. He says, listen, the provisions have made. All things are now ready. And there are some that are rejecting the invitation. And there are yet more that are being invited. And more that have come. The feast isn't stopped. All things are already ready. It's already ready already. And so they come in and yet there are more being invited. And he tells his servants, fill my house. How can you not hear in reading this passage the words of our Savior saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do all that I have commanded. I feel like, did I lose any microphone? All things are ready. The feast isn't going to be short. Yet the ball's in your court. And so, this isn't just a rejection. When we experience that rejection or see the rejection, it's not just of the ultimate feast, but it is of His regular Lordship. I think that's something that we can spend some time reflecting on. Counting our own plans more important. Counting our own status more important. Counting our possessions more important. Counting our relationships more important. Counting our ministries more important than Christ Himself. As one man said, we, we all want to go to heaven. We just don't want Jesus to be there. We all want for years, for years, many, many a man from the pulpit has been able to scare children into heaven by fear of hell. There's some place for that. But I'm going to tell you, everybody wants blessing. Every, every sinner wants blessing, Satan himself wants mercy from God. And too often we don't sit and wait on this invitation. We don't prioritize the feast that is more important than life itself. And so once again, I think we can close looking at not just whether or not you are invited or who's invited and allow yourself to judge God, but why don't we look again at the grace of the master of this feast who's made such a provision. He has asked in those that were rejected by the world. Not that we can judge God for who He's inviting in and who He can't. He's inviting in the ones you have already rejected. The, the, the undesirables, the ones that, that were not wanted. And, and, and you know, just this week we had just a, a crazy experience coming up the road, headed to the house, and we literally, my boys could attest to you, we literally watched a woman get dumped out of a truck on the side of Highway 60 with all of her belongings. It's no joke. We turned around and, you know, she was pretty distraught, didn't want help from me. 
And I trust, you know, I haven't had a conversation, I trust that our local law enforcement, which I'm 98% confident, come by as I spoke with them, come by and to get her the help that she would need and get her to a place that was more comfortable. Don't act as if you are somehow better or more loving than God. God has invited those that you have rejected. And He is gracious. All things are ready. And He's invited the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, and said, that's not enough. Go to the outer places, the places that you can't even reach and bring them in and fill my house. The feast is ready. And so we just need to praise God and understand what, what the, the feast that this gives us, the riches of the goodness and the graces of God, all over Scripture, we read of how good and lush His Word is for us. And we've got to realize that all things are ready and there's an invitation that goes out. And frankly, there are some of us who have been called as servants. And if you believe in this Gospel, if you know Jesus Christ, you are a servant. Or you are not. Are you working? Are you attending or working to bring into the feast? Or are you not? I think we can praise God for His far reaches and a grace that, that goes beyond our abilities, our love, our provision, our pride, all these things. But I'm going to tell you, it's not, there is no place for the one who counts themselves or their plans more important. And it is a dangerous thing. Our Sunday nights, we are, we are working diligently, sending out cars, writing letters, and trying to update and reach out to all those people. And I'm going to tell you, it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to think that, well, I've got my invitation. I've got my invitation. Just excuse me now because I've got my invitation. The invitation's good, good for nothing. If we don't want the Christ, the one who invited us, that's crazy to think that, that you hate me, but you're going to come in my house and eat my food. Come on now. So let's close in a word of prayer and be thinking of all the implications this has for us. Are we really prioritizing the feast that belongs to God? Are we really answering the call that He places on our life in Jesus Christ? Are we really extending this invitation to those around us that have already been rejected? So there's a lot to consider. Let's pray the Spirit moves and speaks in ways that, that I even cannot. Heavenly Father, we come to you and realize you have just spoken a parable anew to us this morning. Lord, there are things in this that, that, come, that are hard for us to understand. And frankly, Lord, we see elements of this that come under attack. Lord, protect us 
from, from scorning your good graces and desire to bless. Lord, let us lift high this gospel message, the invitation that goes out to the outer places. Let us be faithful servants of the feast that your house would be filled. And Lord, we realize too often, Lord, we don't value the feast. Even as servants, it's as if we don't believe how grand of an invitation this is. Lord, I pray that you would just correct this. Because the feast is real. The provisions are made. Lord, let us all come in. Let us desire to see your house filled the way that you desire to see your house filled. And God, I pray that we would stop defining ourselves in the world in any other way. Anything besides this gracious invitation and this gospel reconciliation, this grace of God applied to the life of those rejected and those who don't deserve it. And so, Father, we ask that you move by your spirit, that you enlighten us with this word, that you move us to action, move us to ministry. Lord, that we would experience the blessing of the feast ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.